0: The Facebook live stream will put in subtitles automatic, automatically or automatically, however you want to say it. You know, people like to say it different ways. Automatically it puts it in there. Well, we were singing Victory in Jesus this morning, and where, where you say, and he sought me and bought me by his redeeming blood, it said, and he evolved me with demon blood. That was the subtitle on our video this morning. So I just, I told Ronnie, and he was so shocked, I I don't know if he even had words to say at the time. I I was wondering what you were doing with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, that was something else. Um, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. And that was the first thing that popped up. In uh, our feed was that part of the video with that subtitle. And there it was. He evolved me with demon blood. Pretty wild. So you got to be careful with that stuff. We'll try to fix that though here, uh, here soon. All right. So tonight we're going to be in Second Timothy chapter 4. And uh, what we're doing is we are continuing our message from last week because we're in a three-part uh, series about fighting the good fight, and uh, we're talking about the inward fight, the outward fight, and the upward fight. The inward fight was where you have to get your salvation settled, and then you need to learn to submit your life to the Lord and sanctify Him in your heart and in your life. And then you move to the outward fight, and the outward fight uh, is something we just barely scratched the surface of, and I told you last week, if I've never made you mad before, I'll probably make you mad with that one. And uh, some of y'all came back, some of you didn't, so I don't know. Maybe I, I may have offended some people, but that's all right. The Word of God does that. Um, but tonight we're going to continue this part, the outward fight, and uh, our text that we've been using for the, for the basis for this particular study is this one that concludes 2 Timothy when Paul is speaking to this young pastor. And we we sort of get a little insight about what's happening, and Paul realizes that his race has come to its end. And so if you will, uh, let's see, go ahead and stand to your feet tonight. I know we've read these passages before, but we're going to read through these again, and you can follow along with me as I read. And I'm going to pick up in verse 6 and make my way down here, uh, probably to verse 8. All right, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight I have finished my course I have kept the faith henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day and not to me only but unto all them also that love His appearing father we thank you so much for the reading of your word tonight and I ask you to please help me with the rest of this part to this message Lord May you continue to work in the lives of your people. May your will be done tonight. Father, may you help me to expound the scriptures properly. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would be our preacher and our teacher and our guide tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you see in the passages there, Paul, he speaks about how he fought a good fight. He finished his course. He kept the faith. And then he said there's this crown laid up for him, crown of righteousness. And then he says, "...but also that crown of righteousness is not only to me, but it's unto all them also that love his appearing." See, all believers can be blessed by the fact that Christ is on his way and we can be busy about his work and know without a shadow of a doubt that that Christ will reward those who are faithfully serving him, those who are active or, or busy about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ." And so what we did was we were looking into how this uh, idea of Paul saying, I fought a good fight, and he finished his course, and covering this, um, this topic about how do we fight a good fight? Well, we fight it inwardly. You've got to get those things settled. You're not even in the race until you get your salvation nailed down. For by grace are we saved through faith, and you've got to know that you're saved. You know, John the Apostle said... These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life, and that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. The Bible is here for our benefit. I was talking to a man here recently, and uh, we were talking about um, the number of professions in the area and how often you don't see fruit in the lives of those who profess faith. But I told him, I said, you know, I believe that if a person who makes a profession of faith will get into a good Bible-preaching-teaching church and that they will begin to learn the Word of God. Eventually, the Word of God will help to prove whether or not they are truly saved. And that's what it's there for. It's a living book. It's it's energized by the Holy Spirit. And through the Word of God, we know whether or not we are right with the Lord, whether or not we are saved. So get your salvation settled. Then after that, what do you do once you're saved? You've got to learn to submit yourself to the Lord. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Start presenting yourself before the Lord and be submitted to His will. God's will is wonderful. God's will is perfect. Many times people won't submit to God's will because they think they're going to miss out on something. But that's not true. You actually get so much more when you're submitted to God's will than you would if you were rebelling against His will. And then the last one we talked about was the importance of sanctifying the Lord in your heart and in your life. Make Jesus Christ and God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, absolutely special in your life. And if you don't do that, you'll never live for God, and you'll never run the race like you're supposed to. You'll just be standing on the track, basically running in circles and spinning around, and you'll never get down to that finish line and finish your course and um, fight the good fight. Now, the outward fight has a little bit more to do with the things that we seem to interact with on a regular basis in our lives. And um, this one is more about, uh, it it is the race. The outward fight, the inward fight is when you enter the race, the outward fight is the race. And we know that when it comes to the end of our lives that we'll all stand in in account, to give account of that which what what we've done, get my words out there, bless you whoever that was that sneezed, um, to give account of what we've done with what we've been given. And we've been given so much, the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been given the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's the omnipotent God in us. We've been given the precious word of God. We've been given the establishment of the local church. We've been given so much, and we'll stand and account for those things. Now, last week we talked about the appearance of the believer. This is just one of four areas when it comes to our outward fight. This is not exhaustive. There are many areas. You could probably find some more here, but I think these four kind of sum up the majority of what we're dealing with in this fight to honor and glorify God. And with the, with the outward fight, we started with the appearance of the believer. Does it matter what I look like? Meaning, not whether or not I'm uh, one skin color or the other, or whether or not I have, uh, uh, I, that I'm a little taller or a little shorter or whatever it is. No, I'm saying the way that I dress, the way that I carry myself, uh, the way that others from a distance when they don't know my profession, what they sort of surmise from just observing me, does it matter? And I would say absolutely it matters. And I believe God says it matters. And the thing is, somewhere along the way in history, there were really two sides. The pendulum, it seems to have swung both ways to the extremes. You have one extreme that is so pharisaical that they've created a lot of Uh, rules without a lot of reason. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Let me give you a checklist of every little thing that you need to do, otherwise you're not saved. That's not right. That's too pharisaical. Then the pendulum swings the other way, and people say, oh, it doesn't matter at all what I do. God knows my heart, and I'm perfect, and I can do anything I want to do. Dress how I want to dress, doesn't matter what the Bible says. Put what I want to put in my body and on my body, doesn't matter what the Bible says. And there's lawlessness on this side. So there's legalism on this side. There's lawlessness on this side. We've got to find a way to get back to just that middle ground, that moderation based on the principles of Scripture. And so from the Bible, we saw where the appearance of the believer does matter. And a few things we talked about. Number one, God has a standard that is very different than our standard. We see it in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve clothed themselves in fig leaves to cover their private parts. God comes along, He clothes them in coats of animal skin, from the neck to the knee. And it was referred to as a tunic, is what we would think of it as. And then later, God established the boundaries for nakedness in Exodus chapter 28. It's just one passage of many, but in that passage, He identifies that nakedness is from the thigh to the loins. The thigh we can all relate to. We understand where that is. The loins can be a little confusing sometimes. The word has a definition which we would better understand, which is girdle. Most of us understand what a girdle is. Ladies used to wear them a lot. You know, they wear them around here to tighten things in. Well, believe it or not, some uh, prophets in the past would wear something like a girdle, and it was a type of clothing that would tell the world, I am a prophet of God. Elijah wore one. I believe John the Baptist wore one. And it covered the torso area. And what it tells us is that nakedness is the same as it, in Exodus 28 as it was in Genesis chapter 3. It's those areas from the neck down to the knee. God established the standard and he identified the boundaries of where nakedness is. Okay? Then we talked about some other things here. We talked about how a Christian should dress with modesty in mind. We got that out of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we were talking about how the word modesty does not necessarily mean what we think of today. Modesty being a long dress and uh, maybe loose fitting clothes. The word modesty means to be well arranged. And the idea is that nothing on my body is highlighted. Uh, Sometimes ladies like to highlight their legs by wearing something that exposes that. Or maybe a lady likes to highlight her chest by wearing something lower that brings attention to that. Or maybe men do. I've seen men that would unbutton their shirts down so many buttons so their hair pops out of the top of their shirt. Blake, don't you do that, okay? (laughs) And then you've got men that will get skinny jeans on and they tighten it up real good and tight, you know, so everything's showing. These are things that we have to be careful with because we live in a world that has blurred those lines between what is godly and what is ungodly. And because those lines are blurred, you find more often in churches today, especially in America, that people are dressing more and more like the world, and there's no standards anymore. There's no separation. There's no way to identify the believer from the unbeliever. And so because of these things, we have to be careful in these areas and realize God has said that these are my standards, and we should all be willing to let our appearance be modest, and what I mean by that is well arranged. It's balanced. There's nothing that requires the attention of someone else. If anything, they see me, and all I want them to see is Christ in me. That's what I want them to see. Christ working through me, Christ in my life, and so forth and so on, okay? So now let's move to our, our second point. I know you say, wait, I thought he had about five points there. No, we're just on the second main point. So we're moving from the appearance of the believer and this is, again, the outward fight to an area that I believe all of us are touched by in some way, which would be the amusement for the believer, the amusement, entertainment. Those things that we give our attention and time to. How many here want, like to watch TV a little bit? Come on now. Oh, really? I got some over here. You're don't, you don't, not raising your hand or you're nodding? Not, okay, good. Blake, you don't like TV? No, you're just counting your chest hairs. <laughs> I'm picking. I got to quit picking on him. He's going to get mad at me. He's going to get mad at me. Okay. Amusement for the believers. Um, Turn with me back to Psalm chapter 101, verse 3. Psalm 101, verse 3. Psalm 101, verse 3. The first thing we have to come to terms with and realize when it comes to amusement is that everything affects us in some way or another. Everything does. We, we happen to be very influential with what we hear, with what we see. That's why if you took someone who saw some horrible, tragic event, I've heard tell of people seeing car crashes and not to be too extreme or grotesque, but to see the person in the car be decapitated. And that scene never, never left them. Like, just the fact that they saw it, it affected them for years to come. We know that things influence us. They affect our mind, they affect our heart, they affect the way that we live and and act and so forth and so on. And so that's why the Bible has some things to say about that. And if you will, look at Psalm 101 psalm of David here he says um, let's just look at verse 2 he says I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way well what's the perfect way well that's God's way so he's gonna he's gonna mimic God's way I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way oh when wilt thou come unto me I will walk within my house with a perfect heart again he's talking about being sincere with God watch verse 3 I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. He says, the wickedness, I'm not going to set it before my eyes. I'm, not go- I'm actually going to hate it, meaning he's going to disdain it. He's going to try to avoid being around it because he doesn't want it to cleave to him. He doesn't want it to stick to him. And that's exactly what happens. When we give ourselves to entertainment that is wicked in some form or another, often what happens is it starts to come in through the eye gate or the ear gate, and it cleaves to us, and it sticks to us, and eventually it affects us. David's life was marked by victories, but it was also, it was also marked by failures. Pride and humility were two things that it seemed like David teeter-tottered back and forth with at times in his life. Here in Psalm 103, he says, I'll behave wisely, I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And I believe it's because he understood this, that outward stimuli will stimulate an inner response in some form or another. Meaning the outward stimulants influences things, whether it be television, YouTube, TikTok, and then music whether it be on the radio or it's through Apple music or Amazon music or however you like to listen on a CD or a tape or whatever, maybe you like to get bongo drums out and do your own music, all of those things affect us because we are flesh and blood creatures that are affected by the world that we live in, just as much as I'm affected by the way the weather changes. Some people have colds right now simply because of the shifting of the weather here recently. Extreme heat, it's a little cooler, suddenly we got colds. We are affected by the physical world. And when it comes to the area of amusement, what do we amuse ourselves with? What do we entertain ourselves with? We have to realize that everything affects us in some way or another. And it's often for me, I think it's alarming to hear those who have no fear of falling into sin. I've heard, t- I've talked to people who had gotten saved. I said, you know, it'd be good if you stopped watching this they were telling me about maybe a show that they were watching i said you know that show's got a lot of bad stuff takes the name of the lord in vain it's got nudity in it it's got uh, murdering and killing and gore and 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 violence and graphicness no child of god needs to give themselves to those things and i said you ought to stop watching they said oh don't, don't worry about me it doesn't affect me in that way i just i just like to watch it i just entertain myself with it the bible says take heed lest you fall David says, I'll behave wisely. I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. You know what David did? Up on the top of the house, he looks off in the distance and there's Bathsheba bathing outside. What does he do? He sets his eyes upon that woman. So much so that he calls her into his house. He ends up committing adultery with her. He gets her pregnant. He then, from there, it's a snowball effect. He then plots this whole grand scheme to murder her husband he allowed something to get before his eyes he didn't take heed and therefore he failed and here's my thought if david could fall into sin like he did after the scriptures refer to him as being the apple of god's eye how much more are we vulnerable to the temptations and the attacks of satan who walks about seeking whom he may devour he does want to devour each and every one of god's children he is a roaring lion And he's just simply looking for the weakest one out there. And what makes us weak is when we feed our flesh and we starve the Spirit. And I haven't gotten there yet, but you will find that the Holy Spirit does not take second place in these situations. So, first off, understand this. Everything affects us in some way or another. Then the next thing is this, and this is just advice, all right? Amuse yourself with things that contribute to your spiritual growth. Amuse yourself with things that contribute to your spiritual growth. Now, it may or may not be directly spiritual. I'm not saying you have to go out here and only watch Christian-based movies that are only about the Bible. That's not what I'm trying to say. You, I believe you, can, you guys are smart enough. Y'all understand what I'm saying. There's some entertainment out there that, honestly, it, it, it doesn't speak anything about God, but it doesn't speak against God. But in it, what I would say the best filter would be, how does it help me to grow spiritually? Does it inspire me to draw closer to the Lord? Does it help me to be a better dad or a better mom or maybe a better friend or something of that along those uh, lines? How does it affect me? A slasher movie is not going to affect you in a positive way unless you're just learning how to take out a slasher. And Lord willing, we won't ever have to, okay? You know, some of these bad movies out here with all the cussing and the blasphemy, you might say, well, I don't say it. Yeah, but you're hearing it. And the more you hear it, you mark it down. As soon as you lose control and you, you hit that thumb with a hammer or you stub that toe or somebody makes you mad, you know it's flying out? Those horrible, nasty words that you heard from that entertainment. It settles. It imprints itself down in our minds. And when the devil sees opportunity, remember he's the roaring lion, He says, boy, I'm going to take that one out right here. And there it comes. He brings it right to the surface. Then you say, I can't believe I said that. Oh, forgive me, Lord. Well, if you hadn't have entertained yourself with such garbage, garbage wouldn't spew out of your mouth. That's really the way it goes, right? I've, I've had to learn these lessons myself over the years. So it may or may not be directly spiritual, but how does it inspire you to live for God? Does it put thoughts of evil in your mind? well, know that the Holy Spirit will not fill a sinful vessel. It doesn't mean He's going to leave you, but He's not going to give you the fullness, the guidance, the direction, the comfort, and all those wonderful things. If we quench Him, that's bad. But if we grieve Him, oh, that's a a great sin as well. And the way we grieve the Holy Spirit is when we live in perpetual, continuous sin and we refuse to acknowledge what God has said about what is holy and what is unholy. And I promise you, you, you pursue holiness and you'll find a world out there that you've never seen before. You'll see a God who's bigger than you've ever seen Him. You'll see Him working in ways in your life that you never could have thought, that he, never even would have imagined that He would have worked. And you'll see a God active in your lives. The Holy Spirit will not fill a sinful vessel. So be careful with what you amuse yourself with. Some people, they listen to music. They listen to secular music and they just like the way it sounds but I think it's very important to listen to the message in that music. Some songs that are very popular, one, for instance, John Lennon's song, Imagine. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm sure you do. That is the most anti-God song probably that has been written within the last 30 to 40 years, if that would be right. Would that be right, 40 years? No, that's further back than that. Um, 60 years, probably like 60 years. But it is very anti-God. Just go and get, don't listen to the song, Just read the lyrics, and you'll see it as anti-God. That's all it is. Well, if you sit and you say, boy, that's a good sounding song. Oh, it's so good. It doesn't influence me. Well, as those lyrics start to penetrate down into your heart and in your mind, what happens? The roaring lion takes that, and he uses it to start to to cause you or me to doubt the existence of God. And many people do that from time to time. It slips in their mind, is God real? Am I wasting my time on this thing? Does it matter what I do? Where does all that come from? Outward influences that affect the heart of man, that affect the mind of man, and eventually the devil finds a stronghold, he finds a place, and from there he begins to attack the believer. Therefore, keep on that helmet of salvation and guard your mind. Look with me back in Isaiah chapter 33. Well, if you're in Psalm, then that'll be to the right of Psalms. Go to Isaiah 33. <clears throat> Isaiah 33. So we're talking about amusement. Amuse. Muse means to, to, to think, and ah means no, so it means no thinking. And that's often what entertainment does. It doesn't require any thinking. Watching the game, watching the movie, listening to the music. Uh, we don't have to think much about that. And I find that with this area of, of uh, sin, what do we allow in our lives? Does it hinder the Holy Spirit's work? I believe it does. I I believe we ought to take heed that God does not grow those who are poisoned with sin and thought and words and actions and so forth. Look at Isaiah 33, 15. Watch this. It says, he that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. You see what he's doing? He's saying, I'm not going to get involved with that. I'm not. He's going to cover his ears. He's going to cover his eyes. He's going to shake off the bribes. He's going to avoid the wickedness. Look at verse 16. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. You know what God's saying? God's saying, I'll be with those who desire to be with me. That's what he's saying. And if we try to divide that and we say, no, God, I desire to be with the world just a little bit, I like it a little, well, God says, well, you go going to be with the world then. God doesn't take second place in our lives. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So this is something that, especially in our modern world, because so many people are affected by entertainment because of this right here. You've got so many things that you can access, I believe, I would dare say the majority of people spend the majority of their time being entertained more so than doing anything else in life. And a believer has to be on guard because that is a great, great area of of spiritual attack from the devil, and we have to be on guard about what we entertain ourselves with, what we amuse ourselves with, and know that everything affects us, and therefore we should look for those things that honor and glorify God. And there are certain TV shows that have, that have come out here recently. And, and, you know, often, and this is so foolish because I find adults do this just as much as children, which is so childish. Just because your friends watch something, it does not mean you have to watch it. Don't jump on every bandwagon of every wicked, ungodly, evil thing out there just because somebody said, boy, that's a great TV show. You ought to go binge watch it. That's a great movie. You ought to go. It'll be fine. Just watch it. It's so funny. Just choose who you're going to serve. Are you serving the Lord or are you serving your friends, your family, and so forth and so on, okay? Our third point we're going to look at tonight about the outward fight is we're going to talk about the actions by the believers. 1 Corinthians 10 will be the basis for this part. A Christian should be known for living drastically different from the rest of the world. We should be different in our towns. Uh, We should be different in our homes especially. We shouldn't be at each other's throats screaming and yelling and fighting, and then we get to church and we try to polish everything up. We should be different in our churches. Our churches should not look like the world. Sadly enough, more churches are looking like the world today than anything else. And the, the effort within the church is that we bring the world into the church. We shouldn't do that. We should be different. We're not of this world. We should be separate, saith the Lord. Not saith Tim Hall, saith the Lord is what he said. Be separate. Come out from among them and be ye separate. So our churches should be different. Our business sense should be different. When we're at school, we should be different. When we're on vacation, we should be different. We should look different. Just because I go to the beach, it doesn't need to mean that I need to throw on a speedo or a bikini. See, that doesn't matter. What matters is who am I serving? Am I serving God? Well, God set some standards up. Am I serving myself? Well, then go on with lawlessness then. Christians are not to be like the world, the fight, the good fight is something that we are all in the midst of, and we have all these outward battles with the flesh, and therefore we should learn to show forth godly actions. The first one, I believe that would help us, and we find this in verses 21 and 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let's look at that together. He says this, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now you notice in verse 21 what Paul says. Paul says, you cannot do both. You can't drink from the cup of the Lord and drink from the cup of the devils. He says you can't sit at the Lord's table and expect to sit at the devil's table too. You've got to pick somewhere to be the devil's okay with compromise god's not so the number one thing i believe when it comes to the actions by the believer that we all start with is this stop being a hypocrite stop being a hypocrite you know what a hypocrite is is someone who puts a mask on someone who pretends to be something when they're actually being something else there's too many hypocrites in the church today. Too many people who are not sold out for God and therefore the power of God is quenched. They're not doing anything for the Lord. The churches are dying and people are falling away and it's because of the, the, the leaven that is spreading across Christianity or has spread already and it's leavened the whole lump. It's poisoned it. We've got to stop being hypocrites. Stop pretending. Stop letting peer pressure decide what we're going to do. Just choose you this day whom you'll serve, and don't look back. Put your hand to the plow and keep your eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus. Jesus said if you put your hand to the plow and you look it back, you're not fit for the kingdom. That word fit means useful. He says I can't use you when you constantly look back. When you're constantly looking back and you're, you're trying to figure out what, what you missed out on, he says I can't use you. But if you'll set your eyes on the Lord, now He can use you. He can use you to plow those fields of men and women's souls and to do the work of God. So the first thing there, stop being a hypocrite. Second thing, learn to contribute to the kingdom of God. Learn to contribute to the kingdom of God. Look back with me again at verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Verses 23 and 24, we, I, was in a, I did a message on this on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago. And you'll probably remember in verse 23, the word expedient has this idea of me contributing something. What are you contributing to the kingdom of God? What are you contributing to God's work? And as a believer, if we're to fight the outward fight and finish our course and fight a good fight, we have to start contributing to the kingdom of God. Put others before ourselves in order to contribute to the kingdom of God. Look for opportunities to show the love of Christ to others and to share the gospel in order to contribute to the kingdom of God. What am I doing to contribute to the kingdom of God? This should affect my actions on a regular basis. And then the third thing I'll share with you is this, let all things be done for the glory of God. Let all things be done for the glory of God. That would take us all the way to the end of the chapter. I don't think we'll have time to read it all. So let me take you to, you can go back and read this if you'd like, but just go to verse 31. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You're, you're um, riding down the road. Somebody <clears throat> makes you mad. They go real slow in front of you, or, uh, you know, and you, they won't let you get around them. Or they do something even worse. They pull out in front of you. They go really slow, and then they end up turning into the place they want to go to. And you know that, that just gets you hot under the collar instead of letting all those words fly out that you heard on that television show, why not think about how you could contribute to the kingdom of God in that situation? Think about how God could be glorified in that situation. Learn to control your temper. Learn to control your flesh. Don't let yourself swell up with rage, but settle down and say, God, would you please bless that person today? Pour out some special blessings on them. Lord, if they're not saved, send a witness their way. Hey, you could pray like that. I know it sounds funny at times, but that's how we bring glory to God's name and learn to control your spirit. Think before you act. Is this going to be sinful? Most of the time we're so impulsive, we just, blah, and we're just attacking things. Instead, think, is this going to be sinful? Could this be perceived as sinful? There's another way to think about it. Uh, Maybe it's through my appearance or what I'm doing or saying or... Uh, whatever it might be, could it be perceived as being sinful? And also, don't be the don't be a victim Christian. You ever met somebody like that? They just they can't do anything. They just need to be, uh, they need to, mind, everybody just needs to mind their own business. Don't mess with me. I'll do what I want to do. I'll act how I want to act. Sometimes people are just the victim. They're always playing the victim. I tell you, we live in a world full of victims. Everybody's got something that weighs on them. Well, the truth is, we all do. Everybody's got a past. Everybody's got a life. We live in the, the, the same horrible world that we live in. It's blessed with God's beautiful creation, but it's a fallen world. It'll never be perfect, and therefore don't be the victim all the time, okay? It's not, some people would say it's not my problem to do all that, or my heart is right, don't judge me. Well, again, um, don't be the victim. Think of Christ above yourself, and God will be glorified in that. And within reason live in such a way to not tempt others to sin that some may be saved through your faithful witness. That's what the scriptures would say. Others would see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Remember how Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5? He said, let your light so shine among men that they might see your good works and that they would glorify our Father which is in heaven. That's what people see. They see you. I wish they could see Jesus instead of me, but they can't right now. They see you. They see how you live. They see how I live. They see how you talk. They see how I talk. They see whether or not we're sincere in our dealings or we're hypocrites. They they hear the language we use. They understand the things we're involved with. And the way they see Christ is they see Christ through us. Can they see Jesus through you? If your actions are right, they should because that's your outward fight. The very last thing I want to show you here in the last few minutes of the service is in Ephesians chapter 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, this one talks about our attitude, our attitude. Um, Some people can have a pretty bad attitude about things, and so you might ask the question, what do I mean by attitude? Uh, Attitude is defined as a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something Typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. A posture of the body supposed to imply some mental state. Did you get all that? (laughs) It's basically how someone behaves or reacts. That is their attitude. And it's based on what's going on on the inside. Well, the attitude of a believer should be something that glorifies Christ. And that is a part of the outward battle. Attitude always speaks louder than words. We get on to our girls sometimes because they have a certain uh, way that they can talk. And it'll be be a certain attitude or a certain tone in their voice. And sure, they might say, yes, that's right. But instead of just, yes, that's right, it's more like, yeah, that's right. And you see how the attitude changes, right, Ronnie? You know what I'm saying. He talks like that probably sometimes too, every so often. Yeah, got to set people straight. So the attitude or the tone is very important because it affects what's coming out, and that happens all throughout our lives. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, these are the last few things I'm going to share with you tonight. If you will, look with me at verse 20. In this uh, section of this chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, uh, we go through this putting on and putting off. For the new man, the new, the new spiritual person, the one who's been born again and saved. And there's a new attitude that others should see in, a, in us simply because we are children of God. We've been born again. I want to start with that which we're supposed to put off. Now look with me at verse 20, and we'll read down to verse 22, and we'll stop right there. Verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ. Okay, so that means I'm learning something from Christ. When we were added to the family of God, there was something for us to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't only that he died for my sins. Boy, that's wonderful. I'm thankful I'm out of of hell, and I've got a home in heaven. But Christ was also a perfect example of what we were to be. In his attitude, he was a perfect example of what we are meant to be while we are on this earth. We are supposed to be Christ-like. The word Christian, or the title Christian that we often use, Just simply means those who follow Christ. And to follow Christ, that means I'm trying to be like he was. I'm going to act like he was acting. I'm going to talk like him, do what he did, and so forth and so on. So verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. Verse 21, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So there's some learning from Jesus. Now look at verse 22. He says that you put off... Concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He says, put off the former you. Now whether or not you were saved at 7 years old, or 17, or 27, or 57, or maybe 70, everybody's in a different place there. And I believe someone who was saved at 7, it would be harder for them to, uh, to know what they're supposed to put off. Now myself, I was saved at 13, and I was a very horrible teenager, very wicked, and I know of a lot of things that I did back then that I can easily say, that was absolutely wrong, I need to put that off. And the, a great change took place in my life, but most of it took place not immediately after salvation, but it was when I began to be discipled through God's Word. That's when the effect took place more deeply in my life. God's Word changed me. But what the, what the passage is telling us is that I'm not to be like the old me. I'm not to live according to my old uh, responses, my old actions, my old attitude, my old desires. I'm not to do that. I'm not to have a sharp tongue and tear people down. I'm not to lie to people. I'm not to um, try to get in a fight and be contentious with people. Some people, their pride is so big, even after they're saved, if somebody just looks at them, cross-eyed, boy, they're ready to fight. There's no need for that for a Christian. We're to be humble and meek and lowly in every way possible and not look to fight with others uh, whenever we're given opportunity. The former you is to be put off, is what the verse says. Put off that former you, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That was your heart that was deceitful and desperately wicked, and God delivered you from that. Put it off. The second thing he says is in verse 25. He says, wherefore, putting away lying. He says, put off lying. Stop lying. Don't be deceitful. Don't be underhanded. A child of God should never be underhanded and deceitful in any way. We should always be truthful and upfront with people. No matter what the outcome is, we should be straightforward with people simply because we're Christians. Look at verse 26. He says, be angry and sin not. And then if you were to look at verse 31, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. The idea is he's telling us we shouldn't be angry all the time. Some people, they sit around they stew over everything. They're just mad about just just to be mad. They're mad because they're mad. They just can't get over the anger. The child of God should be happy, filled with joy. The Holy Spirit gives you that. For you to be able to know what the outcome of all things will be because of the faithfulness of God, you should be filled with joy, not anger. And then verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. Now this one you ought to listen to. If we're to put off the old man, that means we're putting off, we're putting off the opportunities that the devil has in our lives. We've covered some areas of and amusement and all that. Did you know every single one of those areas of our lives when we are rebellious against what God has given us and we live according to our own will, that we are making place for the devil in our lives. We're giving him a place. And we're saying, devil, we don't say it openly, but basically we're saying, devil, here's you a comfy little place of sin in my life so that you'll have a stronghold and you can work from there. See, instead, God called us to be separated from this world to be holy because he's holy and it wasn't just so god could say look at all my beautiful holy children it was because he knew that when we pursue holiness we're no longer giving place to the devil and therefore it weakens the devil's effect in our lives to cause us to sin against the almighty creator so don't give place to the devil whether it be through entertainment or music or whatever it might be just don't give place to the devil Verse 28 says, let him that stole steal no more. Put off the old deeds of stealing. There should be no stealing in the, chi- in, in, in the life of a child of God. You say, what do you mean? I don't steal anything. Depends on how you define stealing. Some people can cheat on their taxes. Some people can go on the internet, download things they shouldn't download that they know good and well are illegal. Oh, it's fine. It was just there. Have some integrity as a Christian. He says, put off stealing. Don't steal. Be honest. Otherwise, you're giving place to the devil if you continue down that path. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Put off the corrupt communication. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. Put off grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't let let yourself be guilty of that any longer. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by way of sin. That's what grieves him. See, the Holy Spirit has been given to us and to the world to reprove the world of sin. And therefore, if I welcome sin into my life and I entertain myself with it, after I've put my faith and trust in Christ and, and I am sealed till the day of redemption, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Because his whole work is to testify of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how can he testify of Jesus through a vessel that is guilty of living in open sin? It grieves him. Put off grieving the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 31, we find put off all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. These are the things to put off. And if you want to have a good fight and and fight a good fight concerning this outward area of our lives, learn to put these things off. But you know, just as much as when, you, when, when you're trying to deal with a bad habit, you know, they say it's often a good thing to replace it with a better habit. The putting off, there's some putting on mentioned here as well. Look back at verse 24. If you're going to put off the old man, well, what do you put on? You can't stand there with nothing. Look at verse 24. He says that you put on the new man. The new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You know who the new man is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, put off the old sin nature and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus would have said this similar thing in John 15 when he said, I'm the true vine. He says, you're the branches. You abide in me and I'll abide in you. He's saying, put on me. Put on righteousness and put on true holiness. Put on the new man. Verse 25, we know he said, put off lying. So what I put on, I put on truth. Speak in truth. In verse 28, he tells us, let him that steals, steal no more. So he says, put off stealing, but what do I put on? He says, look, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. God's children should be hard workers. We should be out there doing what we can, staying busy, stay active. Don't be lazy. Don't be a sluggard. Get out there and do something for God. Be busy about it. Be active. Don't steal. Work. Work with your hands. That's what glorifies God. Verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out, but look, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You put off the bad communication or the corrupt, you put on the good communication. Look to edify people. Build them up. Look to uh, speak words that would minister grace unto those who hear your words. Be a blessing to people. Verse 32, he says, and be ye kind one to another. Be kind. Put that on. Kindness. Tenderhearted. He says, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. People today seem to have a, a struggle. Christians often have a struggle with forgiveness. And it's hard for them to forgive people. And they don't realize that when bitterness is left in a heart or forgiveness or unforgiveness is left in a heart, it grieves the Holy Spirit and it limits our spiritual growth and what we can do for the Lord. And so here Paul says very plainly, forgive one another. Why should I forgive other people for what they've done to me? Why should I forgive the one who wronged me as a child or or the spouse who wronged me in a marriage or the child who wronged me along the way? Or why should I forgive my neighbor who treated me poorly? Or why should I forgive the coworker who was a backstabber? Why should I forgive the car that pulled out in front of me, slowed down to 10 miles an hour, and then turned into the family dollar that was right there in front of us all along? I don't know why they went around me. Why should I forgive them? He says, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. I bet you God sits in, in heaven and shakes his head at all the idiotic things that we've done. And yet he forgave us. He says, you goodness gracious, why in the world did you do that? And he's shaking his head and he's thinking, boy, I could just... He said, but I won't. I'll forgive him. No, I'm sure God didn't even think that. He's too merciful for that. But for, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, that's why we should forgive others. Simply because we have absolute forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. These four areas of life will help you to fight the good fight concerning the outward fight. They'll help you to finish your course. And in these areas of appearance, amusement, actions, and attitudes, if you master these four areas, all others are going to begin to fall right in place. And so I encourage you, Christian, fight the good fight, finish your course, and strive to keep the faith because so many are are not doing it anymore. And I believe God's still today calling us to do the same things that He called us to do a long time ago. And so just because the world changes its ways, believers should not change. Don't get off course. Let Christ be the captain of the ship of your life, and to God be the glory. Let's pray tonight. Father, we love you and thank you for this time together. And Lord, I thank you for the message tonight. Lord, what what a challenge we have before us. Lord, I know I've, I've uh, been fighting this outward fight for some time, and uh, it's been a str- hard struggle at times, but Lord, there's, there's also been some easy things to deal with. And I believe everyone tonight, as they um, look to fight this fight in the proper way, I believe they'll have some struggles. I, th- I know they will. Lord, would you please be gracious enough to help each one of us to get the victory completely? Lord, in the times we're in the valley, I pray you'd provide comfort and grace. And Lord, I pray when we get on the mountaintop, you'd keep us humble enough not to swell up with pride. And Lord, just help us to fight the good fight, to finish our course and to keep the faith to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, if tonight there's one here who's lost, I pray that they would seek out me or someone else to know from the scriptures how they can be saved. And Lord, for... My brothers and sisters in Christ tonight, I just pray that you'd be gracious enough to forgive, to cleanse, and to continue to help us as we move forward in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen.